Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to a special edition of the Readerly Report. Um, Late last week, Gail and I just... I don't know, we decided that we wanted to participate in March Madness. And since neither of us plays a sport, we don't play, well, we don't play basketball. I don't play basketball. We decided that we were going to do a March Madness book tournament based on 16 books that we have both read. And we want to see, we're going to have some discussions about these books and let them duke it out and see what is our joint favorite. Yes. So, Gail, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what we're going to be doing? So, what we've done is we've created eight matchups between books that Nicole and I have both read. So, that was that narrowed down <laughs> the pool of books considerably, but we picked the best of the books that we both read. And we've got eight matchups here, and each with each of these matchups, we are going to have a short discussion about the books and decide which one should advance. And in subsequent podcast episodes, we're going to move up through the brackets. So today is round one. We'll have round two, round three, and then the final round. And the final round will be just two books against each other. So today we're going to have to move kind of quickly through these matchups because we have eight of them. Um, Well, we have some time. Okay. Well, we won't go too But what I was going to say is that this, of course, is posted in our Facebook group, and it's going to be on our blog so that you can follow along, hit us up with your thoughts. Yeah, if you think um, we completely botched a decision, feel free to let us know. This is a highly subjective process. The cri- But we have some criteria to yes, sort of okay. make it less. All right, we have three criteria here, and the criteria are... And just so we know, just everyone knows, this is all fiction. We're starting with fiction. Um, Is the book or was the book engrossing all the way through the book? Was it an enjoyable, compelling read all the way through? Did it keep our attention? Second point is, is the subject matter timely and or interesting? So I'm taking, I'm making that and or because some of them may be historic and so it may not be timely, but still might be interesting. And then the third question is, has the book held up over time? And or do we think it will continue to hold up over time? So if it's a book we read a few years ago, and as we're discussing it today, with the benefit of hindsight, has the book maintained its uh, longevity? And do we think that, you know, with the with the years of distance, is it still as good as we, it was the first time we read it? Yeah, in three years, when we're telling you what you should read on vacation, will we mention this book? Right, right. Will this come Will up? it be appearing in our roundups in yeah. some way, shape, or form? Okay, so are we going to do our usual we check-in on what we're reading, or should we just hop you in? Know, we tried to let each book duke it out. So, like, we have, for our first matchup, we have um, The Girl on the Train is going against... Kyra Ruda's best day ever. And so both of these are sort of suspenseful fiction books. Um, I guess domestic, domestic thrillers, right? Thrillers that involve relationships gone wrong or gone right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So each of these pairings, at least in round one 
have some sort of a nexus to each other, generally, not entirely, but with with a few of them, it'll make it'll make more sense when we get to them. All right, so are we hopping yeah, it, in with the first matchup now? Yeah, let's hop in with the first matchup. Okay, so as Nicole just teed up, the first one is um, Paul Hawkins, the girl on the train, versus Best Day Ever by what was the name? Kyra Ruda. Hmm. Okay. So yes. Okay. So let's just give a general. So Girl on the Train is about this woman who is drunkenly riding the train every day. She's lost her job and she just stares out longingly at this house where she used to have a relationship with a man who is now married, I believe, to someone else with a child. Uh, Yes. Um, But there is something that has happened to her that she cannot quite remember that's nagging her. So that's what she wants to figure out. Yeah. So you've got an unreliable narrator who's obsessed with this other life who, uh, you know, the, the question becomes, is she, did she do something bad, which she feels like she might have done? Um, or what she did wit- she see? Yeah, she may have witnessed a murder or she may have, she's witnessed a disappearance of somebody. And or is her imagination just running wild because she looks out and she makes up stories about these people that she sees as she's riding the train? Right. Best Day Ever is about a husband who is gone away with his wife for an overnight to their summer house or something, this house that they own. And uh, he's narrating what's going on, and it becomes clear, pretty clear early on, that there's something off, that the wife doesn't seem to be enjoying her time with him, and he seems to be a little unhinged. So you yeah, have is this a, really going to be her best day ever, or <laughs> or maybe is she, it her worst, <laughs> or is it her last? <laughs> yeah, her last day ever, right? So uh, you know, this matchup, you've got two psychological thrillers, uh, you know, page turners. Um, what's your pick for who should who should progress between these two books? I don't know. I, Girl on the Train is such a classic. I just feel like it's one of those books that you'll always be able to mention. Like, it'll always hold up, in a sense. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. They both will, though. I mean, because one is sort of... I mean, there's trauma in a, in a domestic relationship. And will the, you know, will the party be able to escape that? I just feel like that's such a classic domestic fiction crime fiction question you know do you ever get tired of these questions I mean there are probably so many iterations of this particular theme so on that count I think they both pass muster were they both engrossing all the way through Mm -hmm. I think they were I I feel like girl on the train has a slight edge there for me I feel like best day ever was a little bit, I was a little bored with that because I just felt like, oh, okay. I knew, I think there was a little bit more mystery with Girl on the Train. There, there, it was a little bit more intricate. There was more moving parts. You know, I think it has the advantage because it has more characters. Um, best day ever is just this man and his wife in this car driving along and sort of, you know, you get flashbacks on and what was going on in their relationship and what's brought them there. But I just felt like, I think there was definitely more with Girl on the Train that more people for me to be curious about or wonder how those pieces fit in. 
I totally agree. I was going to say the same thing. It's more intricate. There's more characters. There's more moving parts. It's uh, a best day ever. Is a super claustrophobic book. Like it's about the, this couple and his hold on her. And it's a very uncomfortable read because you feel trapped the way she is. Whereas Girl on the Train, you have more of an emotional distance, I think, from what's going on. And it's, um, it's just more, it's just more interesting. So I, to- I totally agree. And I would advance Girl on the Train with, with no question. Okay. So Girl on the Train it is. All right. Um, timely and interesting subject matter. Yeah, we said that they're both timely and, you know, this stuff yeah. just does not go out of style. Yeah. And held up over time. Um, I mean, I read Girl on the Train long before I read the other one and like they made a movie out of it and it just feels like it's got some longevity to it. Whereas Best Day Ever was kind of like thriller du jour. And I don't really see it. You know, I don't I, like you said in the beginning. I don't see that on lists in two to three years. I don't see people right. I can see running across someone and, and going like, "Oh, you haven't read Girl on the Train? You should definitely read it." I don't know yeah. if I would say that about Best Day. I don't know if I'll remember Best Day ever past this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't. <laughs> I don't see Best Day ever in piles of books on Spivey Swap in like two years from now. But I see Girl right. on the Train there. Yeah. Okay. So we have our first winner from round one. This is the early first game of March Madness, and it was Paula Hawkins' Girl on the Train. So next week, we'll see who it is matched up against. Um, It'll be one of the winners of the next two books. So the next matchup is, um, there's a clear theme here, books that have been inspired by Pride and Prejudice. The first one is Mary B., and I'm completely blanking on the person who wrote Mary B., Catherine J. Chen. Catherine J. Chen, right. Princeton. And um, the second book is Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld, the modern-day retelling of Pride and Prejudice. So if you haven't read either one of these or heard Nicole and I talk at length about them, Mary B. is the story of Mary Bennett. She is the oft-overlooked and ridiculed middle sister of the, of the five Bennett sisters, And this is her side of the story. She's telling uh, the interior life of poor Mary, who most people dismiss as either silly or too serious or, I don't know, any number of different words people used to describe her. Um, Eligible is Curtis Sittenfeld's modern-day retelling of Pride and Prejudice uh, set in, God, where was it, Columbus, Cleveland? Set in Ohio, Cincinnati. I think it was set in Cincinnati. Set in Ohio, modern day Jane and Lizzie, uh, very entertaining book. So they're they're two very different books for sure. Um, I feel like we might have to fight a little bit about this. Like, what's your knee jerk? What would you advance? Well, that's a good question. Um, one criteria I might add to this one that I wouldn't do for the other ones is creativity and. I think they actually both score points for sort of technical creativity for two different reasons. Mary B. is told in the language of Jane Austen. And in her mind, she had to completely imagine a whole fact pattern that didn't exist. Now, I take issue with the fact pattern she came up with. And I I think she took a lot of liberties with the characters from the original, which which I was uncomfortable with. But I admire the book because she wrote in Jane Austen style and then she basically created an entire new novel out of it. 
eligible, I thought the characters were more true to the way they were in the original. She wrote in American modern English, but what was unbelievably impressive, I thought, about Eligible was that she traced the plot of Pride and Prejudice to the letter. And she found modern day parallels and situations to concoct, putting the characters into contact with each other that completely matched the original book. And I, I admire that. So before I say what my winner is, what is your argument for each one? Um, hmm. I agree. Yes. Curtis Sittenfield did follow it to the letter. She did find the modern day parallels. Um, I'm so sort of biased because of the ending of this book as much as Mary B got out there. I feel like the reality show at the end just really took me out of the book and sort of annoyed me. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said we needed a criteria because my knee jerk would be like, no, not eligible. It has to be Mary B. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like eligible is timely in a way that Mary B can't be because I just feel like Mary B is coming at this super feminist woke moment, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which was incorporated in her novel in a way that I, you know, of course is, it's not realistic. And I don't even know if people, you know, if in two or three years, I don't even know if that will be still what the moment is like, you know? Mm -hmm. So that you think that gives the edge to eligible? Um, It gives the edge to eligible a little. I feel like Mary B just sort of really got out there. A lot of people didn't like it, I think, because it took such liberties and was so radically different from Pride and Prejudice. I really did enjoy it because it had that old school kind of language. And, you know, like I really had to let go of the fact that it was a Pride and Prejudice retelling to not that it was a retelling it was sort of, it had to really embrace the fact that it was told from Mary's point of view and had to embrace the fact that Mary was a radical feminist so i i just think that eligible in in 3 years when i think of pride and prejudice retellings i will eligible will pop up and i think mary b will be like something that i might recommend with hesitation i feel like that book is just not everyone's cup of tea Yeah. I'm going to agree with you on the outcome. I would put eligible forward. For me, the reason is because I felt that she really changed the personalities of the characters, and that bothered me. Right. And maybe it's because I'm just such a huge fan of the original and the relationship and the two and the romance and all of that. But it just, it didn't, it it bothered me to the extent that it really bothered with my, it it really affected my enjoyment of the book. But I think too, if you're going to, if you're going to commit to the language and commit to the period dress and then not commit to the, the Mm -hmm. manners and the mores of the time, then we're getting into something else. It's like, I sort of enjoyed this as a feminist, sort of modern feminist parody dressed up as the 1800, you know, late 1800s, mid 1800s, but I didn't, yeah, it was just like, okay, I just suspended a whole bunch of disbelief and that was enjoyable, but I would go with something that has like a more classic 
All right. So we may have we may have gotten to it slightly different ways, but we've we've come to agreement on the outcome. Yes. Okay. So the next one is a pairing of two books that have a military theme to them, although beyond that they're pretty different. The first is Waiting for Eden by Elliot Ackerman, and the second is The Confusion of Language by Siobhan Fallon. We actually had a book club discussion about Waiting for Eden. If anyone is interested, we will link it in the show notes so you can check it out. Uh, We had that with Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves. So Waiting for Eden is about, it's sort of a triangle between a veteran, his wife, and the veteran's friend. It's narrated by the veteran's dead friend. It is about him being visited in the hospital where he is recovering. He's being visited by his wife where he's recovering from like unimaginable injuries. The injuries are billed as like the first, he's like the most injured person who's survived war ever. And because of technological advancements that have been made, this is the first time that it would have been even possible for him to survive. That's how severely bad he's, he's burned. His wife does not want to let him go. So it's told from the perspective of the dead friend. You get a chance to take a look, I guess, get a look into into all of their perspectives in a limited way, like to sort of see what the wife is thinking. You're sometimes in his head, the vet, the injured vet, and and it's told from the perspective of his friend who is in heaven. It's extremely poignant and you know you just learn so more much about war and how it affects relationships you know how hard it is for military families to I guess get past what happens when when their loved ones are deployed and it has such ramifications for this couple the confusion of languages is a little bit different because it is focused on the military wives and it is about one wife who's being introduced to military society and I believe is it? I want to say it's like Afghanistan or Iraq. No, weren't they in Dubai? Or Dubai, yes. I think one of the husbands takes a side trip at one point to one of those places. And that's why the wives are left alone for the majority of the book. But this book is about a new wife who is being welcomed into society by you know the wife of her husband's, I guess, comrade. And it is culture shock for the new wife to be integrated into this new community and there is some clashing that is involved as she is acclimating herself to what the rules are in Dubai. Um, She has a looser interpretation than the more mature and experienced army wife and she's got a new baby and then she goes missing. So a lot of it is about, you know, once again, how deployment affects families in the military, the struggles that wives have in making a home for their husbands, learning new rules when you're deployed, you know, acclimating yourself to a new culture besides dealing with all of the other things that go along with a marriage, you know, like the responsibilities in raising children and setting up a household. So it's a lot about that, but it is sort of like, has any of this new wife's naivete affected how she has moved through this world and has it caused her any kind of harm? Uh, So for me, I have a pretty clear winner in this one, mostly just because of the emotional impact of the book. So I guess the the 
talking about the engrossing all the way through held up over time. I think with those two criteria for me, this is a clear winner in waiting for Eden. And I even I also give it the win on the timely and interesting subject matter. The the confusion of languages is really about a very unique situation of this particular two couples and the way they interact with each other and the marriages within them. Whereas Waiting for Eden is a book about control over your own life and destiny. It's a book about loyalty and love and death and you know the horrors of war. And to me, the, the themes of that are just more universal and timeless than the ones in um, The Confusion of Language. I would argue, though, that The Confusion of Languages is much more accessible. Yes. Um, Waiting for Eden is, it's a really hard book. Is, yeah. This is not a book that I would be like, oh, if you're interested in the military, you should read this book. It is, you know, I think... It's one of those books, the experience was just so so visceral and and it's so dark that it would come, you know, if I would have a whole bunch of questions about what the person read and and how they like to feel or uh, before I recommend this book. I just don't, it, it's not a universal pick for me, mm-hmm. which That's makes totally it fair. more difficult to just say to advance this because I feel like I would recommend this book with so much more reservation than I would The Confusion of Languages. I think The Confusion of Languages touches on things similar, but because like you, you we're dealing with, with Waiting for Eden, it's like, like you said, there's injury and there's loyalty and there is just so many things that are, are in play. And it's like both books have things that are serious that happens in them, but you know, the weight of, of waiting for Eden, it's really heavy. So, so where do you, what do we do? Where do I come out on this? What are we saying? The best? Yeah, I know it's hard. I mean, I would get, I'd hesitate. I give it to it. You know, it's with reservation. Okay. (laughs) Waiting for Eden with an asterisk with a, with a, Parental With trigger guidance. warnings. Yeah, warning yeah. On there. yeah, it is a very tough book. There's no question. But for me, like if we're talking, if we're focusing on the reading experience, like that book is going to sit with me a lot longer than The Confusion of Languages, which I mean, I remember The Confusion of Languages, but not with the detail and clarity that I remember waiting for Eden. Well, we remember pain. Yeah. Well, there's pain in the other one, but it's different. No, I mean, there's there's pain in that one, but there's not like there's not like day in and day out suffering to the point that, you know, someone is basically reduced to their base consciousness and body parts that are sticking to a sheet. It's yeah, it's yeah, it's painful. I mean, it's it's it gets seared in your mind in a yeah. way that confusion of languages is never going to be. Yeah. Okay. With an asterisk. Uh, with Onward. an asterisk. Okay. Onward. Onward and upward. The next pairing is The Leavers by Lisa Ko and Everything Here is Beautiful by Mira T. Lee. And those two are grouped together, not because they're particularly similar, but because they, I guess they both are literary fiction that deal with pretty current topics. So The Leavers is about uh, a woman who's in the United States 
illegally, who has a son, and then she disappears. He doesn't know where she's gone or why she left him. He gets adopted by a white family, and it's kind of all about his coming to terms with who he is culturally and his relationship with his mother and him trying to track her down. Everything Here is Beautiful is about two sisters, one of whom has schizophrenia and the impact of mental illness on their relationship. There's also some immigrant-type issues. Um, She actually ends up leaving the United States and living in Latin America and where one of the two sisters does. And it's really, really the main issues of that is mental illness. So you've kind of got right here, like, draconian immigration policy and mental, mental illness told through the perspective of literary fiction. So I think they both score high on the timely and interesting subject matter. They, they, I think that's going to be a, a, a draw. So then it comes up with, it, it comes down to how engrossing were the books all the way through and have they held up over time. And I'm going to let you take the lead on this one because I know you struggled a little bit with both books. Oh my God, I was really hoping you would take the lead on this one because I don't know. (laughs) I think between the two, I did struggle a bit with both of these books. The Leavers I found a little cold and a little slow. And Everything Here is Beautiful I found also a little difficult to connect to. But ultimately, I liked... Um, you also listened to this on audio and you switched over and liked and it a lot more. Correct. So I think that that's why you had trouble with that one initially. Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, Everything Here is Beautiful. I think it was a more engrossing story. It felt more realistic to me. And I just, of the two, it has stayed with me better than um, The Leavers. I would say the same thing. I enjoyed the levers, like I enjoyed, I enjoyed the story and like considering things from from Deming's perspective. But I also did find it like very dense. You know, like I had to reach to understand his point of view, and sometimes I found it really frustrating. I think from end to end, definitely, I was engrossed with everything here is beautiful. Like the, I just. It was such a poignant story for me, the way this family who is is coupling with the mental health issues on top of having immigration issues. I just thought it was just really moving and just a really great picture of what that looks like. And it's not only between the woman who has schizophrenia and her boyfriend with who and he's trying to raise a child with her I just thought the culture clashes were really distinct you know at one point they end up I believe he is from Costa Rica maybe I can't really remember the country at this point but just dealing with his issues here and how those restrictions like the restrictions of being constantly worried of being deported how they changed him as a person when he was back in his country and how they related to each other was so completely different. I thought that was fascinating. And it's always interesting when you have like an older sister who feels responsible for her younger sister with mental illness. So there was just things going on in that book that were just completely engrossing. And I thought the author did such a great job. So, All right. So we have everything here is beautiful moving on and leaving the leavers behind. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are halfway through. We've done four. We have four ahead of us. (laughs) (laughs) 
The next matchup is That Kind of Mother by Ruman Alam and American Marriage by Tayari Jones. This isn't really a fair matchup because... Nothing was going to be. We (laughs) had this book with a bunch of different things. I think this comes closest for me to even be able to talk about the issues because it was just blowing everything else out of the water. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what next week's going to suck. I'm warning you now. Um, Okay. Yeah. So Tayari Jones, American Marriage. Nicole and I have cavelled about this book. That's Yiddish, by the way, for... We have expressed very high opinions of this book. Extolled its virtues forever. Yes. We've cavelled about this book for a while here on the show. Uh, American Marriage is about a love triangle of uh, three, um, two men and a woman from Atlanta. Uh, There's a married couple, and the husband of the married couple is accused of a crime he did not commit and is imprisoned. And he is, it's about the relationship between him and his wife and how it is affected by his imprisonment and then her relationship with her best friend, who's is also a friend of the couple. This is a book that explores issues of racism, loyalty, love, and, you know, how much do you sacrifice for the person that you love? And how does the strain of their circumstance change their relationship? That kind of mother by Ruman Alam is a book that takes place in D.C. in the 70s and 80s about a woman who ends up, uh, she has a baby and then she ends up adopting the child of a woman who serves as like her lactation consultant, who eventually becomes kind of her nanny and then dies and leaves a baby behind as well. So a woman who ends up adopting a black baby, she already, she's white, has a white kid, and it's also about racism about how she learns to be a parent to a child of a different race, her cluelessness when it comes to the treatment of black people. Um, I'm, I, I'm not going to try to speak for both of us, but for me, this is a, a very easy choice. American Marriage, one of my favorite books of last year, I found it to be a much more compelling read, a much more memorable book much more powerful and just all around a stronger read than that kind of mother. I doubt Um, you disagree, but you may have a different take on it. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I feel like the, I just feel like anything that is going up against American marriage is sort of almost like there's just very few books that I would put ahead of it that we have on this list. Oh, don't spoil um, that because that means no one's going to bother listening to the next three episodes because you've just revealed our winner. Well, no, we have some. We're going to have some interesting debates, I'm sure, for other books. No, but there, they, I said there are a couple of books that I w- would put in contention with this. I think that this book, uh, that kind of mother, had the best chance for this category. I think that this book explores some similar themes in different ways. You know, like you talk about the race issue. Um, I, I really, you know, it's going to come down to the fact that I just loved American marriage so much. I thought that kind of mother, I thought she did, uh, Ruman Alon, he, 
because this is an Indian man who's yeah, writing from the perspective of this white woman, did such a good job with the privilege thing. You know, as I look around and I see just all of this racial stuff that's still going on, like the people who are being discovered with blackface and how, you know, some people apparently still think that this is acceptable, that, you know, there's just so many things, like he really gets the invisibility of what privilege looks like, like this woman who just goes barreling into this this woman's life who is working as a lactation consultant in a hospital and she gets her to be her nanny and just the skewed way that she views this relationship I just felt was so accurate in a way that I think she's she's blind in the book as the white woman and I feel like there's there's so much of that blindness that goes on you know people taking things for granted and ignoring and overpowering people's agency I mean it does such a good job with that that being said I just I I think that American marriage transcends the message that you would say it's about you know like one of the things I love about American marriage and I think this is the way novels should be done is that what you could look at as an issues book it's dealing with this issue and that isn't issue, you know, like prisons in the prison society in the United States and, you know, racism in the United States. And it just takes it and it just makes it a relatable issue about relationships. Like this is what happened in my relationship. This is what happened to my love. And I think that when you speak to people like that, that's just super powerful and always timely. And, you know, unfortunately with this society, I feel like, you know, it's, it's going to be relevant. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's going to continue to be relevant. So I would advance this. All right. That brings us to our next matchup. And these are two big books. Okay. Our next matchup puts two big books of the last couple of years against each other. Uh, the Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer and The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. This is such a no-brainer for me. And I feel like it's hard because I feel like I really enjoyed reading the female persuasion but could I you know can do I remember what it's about can I tell you about the characters I'm not so sure so I'll take a stab at it Gail may have to help me out the female persuasion is about this young woman who gets a chance to work with a mentor she randomly meets she goes to a speech like she's very affected by some issues that have been going on in her college and of famous feminist comes and speaks at her college and she has a chance meeting with her in the in the background in the bathroom that basically sets her on a different path in her life where she feels like she wants to to deal with these issues and you know she has a boyfriend through college they remain close and so you know like they remain a couple through college and as as they get their first job. So it's sort of about being young and having your first job and what happens when you get to work with a mentor, you know, like ideals and, and how your ideals hold up to reality, I would say. Yeah, that's right. Well, would you? No, that's perfect. And then The Great Believers is just the sweeping sort of multi-generational among friends books that starts in the 1980s um, with the AIDS epidemic. 
that affects this group of friends. Um, it's told from two perspectives. One is Fiona, who is a young woman whose brother dies of AIDS, or he's died at the beginning of the book starts with them at his, with a group of his friends at his wake. So it's about her relationship with his friends. Yale is the most prominent of those friends who is an art curator. So it's about his story and his relationships He's very young at the time, and they're finding themselves and dealing with the AIDS crisis, and he has a very important art commission that has the opportunity to experience his life. So that's sort of taking place back in the 80s, and then in the present day, we're looking through Fiona's eyes as she's trying to find her daughter, who may or may not be involved in a, in a cult, and she's chasing down a lead in Paris. So she's trying to solve those issues and sort of taking a look back, and it all comes together in a great way. So it's, it's about friendship. It's about, you know, this epidemic that was devastating to a population and how it affects their loved ones and how being exposed to those experiences as a young person basically affects your outlook for the rest of your life. I agree with you. I think there's a pretty clear winner here. I liked the female persuasion. I like her writing. I actually remember that book pretty well. So for me, it's not so much a remember thing, but I think it's, I don't don't think it's a fair fight. I think that The Great Believers is just a more, I don't know, it grabs you at the core in a way that the female persuasion doesn't. It's, I felt much more emotionally connected to the characters and it was to me, it was just a superior book. Yeah, um, Rebecca Mackay has written books before, and she's written books that have been acclaimed. I feel like, like American Marriage with Tyree Jones, I think that people write great books that you really enjoy, and then I think they hit a book that is just sort of like their moment in their book. And I feel like The Great Believers is that for her. American Marriage is that book for Tyari Jones and just sort of like the Underground Railroad was for Colson Whitehead. Mm-hmm. Now, I hope they can, if, if they continue to top themselves, I would be thrilled. Sure. But, but yeah. these, these are those books, like, it's, these are their books. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so we have a winner. The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay moves up next week. Uh, Nicole and I are going to duke it out on... American marriage versus the great believers. Yeah, because you can see what the bracket is shaping up to be, and I'm just picking winners and don't know. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking ahead. Okay. The Mm -hmm. next pairing is an odd pairing. This was sort of like, uh, this this doesn't have like a thematic matchup, but just the way the the bracket fell into place. Stay with me. Ayobame Abadeo and The Stars Are Fire by Anita Shreve. These are two extremely Well, I say books. they have in common that these are two books that we were we loved and were super excited about and on pins and needles and did quite a bit of discussion about. True. So these are definitely um, I think where we our taste really overlapped and matched up and we were just really taken with both these books. Yeah. I mean, The Stars Are Fire is the book that you were texting me to see what if you could stand to even read and see what was going to happen. And Stay With Me, I feel like we felt like we knew what the book was going to be about, and we were totally there to read that book. And it just took so many interesting twists that I would not have predicted mm-hmm. and was still so good. 
So Stay With Me is about this young couple who marry. They are a Nigerian couple. Even though it is the practice of having a second wife if your first wife is not able to become pregnant or maybe even having a second wife anyway, this couple agrees that there will be no second party in their marriage. And, you know, he's in love with her, she's in love with them, it's going to be them, and that's that. Unfortunately, she is unable to get pregnant, and his family is putting a lot of pressure on them, so he does take a wife. And that has consequences, like far-reaching consequences, things that you would just never think about um, throughout their marriage and throughout the lives of many people who come in contact with them. And The Stars in Our Fire is historical. It's set in Maine, I believe, in the 1950s or 1960s to it. But anyway, it's about this housewife who has two children. She has a marriage that is sort of, it's not the happiest marriage around. There is this great big fire um, where the family is separated. It's like a dramatic separation of the family. He's missing, and so basically she has to rebuild her life. And of course, after she has rebuilt her life, something happens that she's basically at square one. The life that she thought she was going to be able to have for herself is no longer, and she's faced with a different, much grimmer set of circumstances. So it's, it's about this troubled marriage and this woman being able to find herself and what happens when her finding herself is being, has been threatened. Okay, this actually takes place in 1947. Okay, so even earlier. So that's why she's got even fewer options, because it's like before women had more freedom, I think. Options. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, this comes down to, this comes down to just pure reading experience. And they were both very good reading experiences, but I think there are a few things that, few books that will rival the stars are fire for pure suspense. I liked Stay With Me. It was a really compelling book. I really enjoyed it. I did it on audio. It was fantastic on audio. But, oh, my God, The Stars Are Fire was among the most intense books I've ever read. And I just, uh, it's like that is a reading experience like none other. So for me, this this one is edged out on criteria number one, engrossing all the way through, and I give that to The Stars Are Fire. Um, I don't have any choice but to agree. I mean, this is, I could probably argue that with Stay With Me, maybe the subject matter is a little bit more timely, but I could also argue the other way that, you know, women and their troubles in their marriages and how you balance family and autonomy and following your dreams with sustaining a relationship and sustaining a family is always going to be something that is poignant. It's always super engrossing when you see it happen with someone who seemed to have uh, more limited choices. I think like Gail said, just the suspense factor and the page, I mean, they were both page turners, but there is just something about the tension in, in Stars Are Fire that just makes it such a compelling book that I feel like you know, Stay With Me will be a book that I recommend. You know, it's not like it's going to fall on the list in any way, but I just feel like Stars Are Fire gives you that like, oh, you have to read this kind of kind of mm-hmm. excitability. Yeah, I think that's right. So we're trying to stick to the criteria. 
But when they're evenly matched, it just comes down to that, like, oh, you know, like this was the book that you had to get back to because you were going to die if you didn't see what happened next. It's right. Our last pairing. So we have uh, Jenny Offel's Department of Speculation and is it Helen Ellis? I'm blanking on her name. American Housewife. Okay. Helen Ellis. American Housewife and American Housewife is a little bit disadvantaged here because it is a collection of stories as opposed to a novel. So um, American Housewife is a collection of very different from each other stories. Um, All of them kind of tackling some element of modern womanhood. Uh, You've got everything from a story about a two neighbors in New York fighting over the entryway of their condo building or co-op building. You have one about a man who is a bra fitter. Um, I don't even remember all of the stories in there. It's, they're strange, but they're very good. And then you have Department of Speculation, which is a very short book about a woman and her husband. They're living, I believe they're living in Brooklyn. He's cheated on her they're trying to recover from the infidelity in the marriage they move out to the suburbs and it's all about what happens to their marriage there this is another slam dunk this is a department of speculation is one of my favorite books and i just loved 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 that book it was uh I, i love the way she writes it's very spare it's not a long book but there's so much in there that is just familiar and um rings true and things you just want to underline and share and quote and frame (laughs) it just was really good it's a short book and you can just easily highlight the entire thing (laughs) yeah you could highlight the entire book you're right i liked american housewife and i liked kind of her crazy perspective on things and it was very unique and original but it does to me it didn't hold up against the other one i just yeah I felt like some of the things that she talks about, she has those moments that they're funny because they're so true or whatever. Um, and I think the fu- the funniest, the most memorable story for me is just like about the women who are fighting over the d- decor in the in the co-op. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what gets to be in the hallway and in these um, Manhattan high rises, like the co-op boards can be so cutthroat and the battles with your neighbor can be so cutthroat. Um, she skews a little to the absurd for me, which, you know, like I just really like I like some of her humor because I can see how it's appropriate for the stories that she's telling, you know, about marriage or about, you know, she's like a southern transplant, which is something I, I can identify with being that all my family is like from the south. And I've spent a lot of time, you know, in living rooms in Alabama or whatever. So. I just feel like some of her comparisons and things are so funny, but then she will have some, you know, like one of the stories was about Kotex or I don't know. She just, she just goes the other way with humor that I just can't get with. I am looking forward to her collection of nonfiction essays that are coming up though. Mm, I didn't know she had one. But definitely Department of Speculation gets it. So one thing I wanted to note that I forgot to say early on was that Nicole and I did not talk beforehand about where we each came out. We, we settled on the, the matchups, but we didn't talk about how we were going to come out. And to date for round one, it sounds like you and I have been pretty unanimous in agreement on which ones we would 
advance. I think it was, it's going to get harder for sure. And our discussions might get a little more contentious, but I think that, uh, for this round, I think it was easy. And we like to thank those books that kind of just took one for the team because there was just no way they were going to win. Yeah. But we had to get to some of those harder choices. You know, it's like and March there Madness. was only so many books that we we were working with. Right, right. Again, we so had yeah, to only so pick. March Mad- Yeah, there's always those teams that sneak in there that you're sort of like, really, right? You snuck in here, but you know you're not going to be there for long. So right, right. So next time we're going to get into round two, things are going to get a little more intense. Um, again, please follow along with this March Madness, March Book Madness from Readily Report. We're going to post this uh, bracket on our blog. We're going to post it on our Facebook group. So we'd love to hear what you think. If you think we got it wrong, let us know. If you think we got it right, let us know. Uh, if you you know have strong opinions, let us know. And if these books sound interesting, add them to your TBR. And please, please, please rate the podcast. Go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast, and please give us a rating. We'd really appreciate it. So, okay, I think that's it for this special edition of the Readerly Report March Madness issue. Please tune in to the rest of March Madness and see who gets crowned the best book we've both read. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. 